just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. There is no bad time of year for a cheese board, but damn, does that thing look good on a picnic blanket. Cheese people, today's show is for you. For us. Huzzah! (laughs) Caputo's own cheesemonger-in-chief is here to lay down the guidelines for an expert spread, as well as completely blow my mind about the role of bubbles? It's Thursday, May 18th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Adri Pacelli, Director of Education and Senior Manager at Caputo's Market. I got to tell you, when I walk up to the cheese counter, be it at Caputo's or that one at Harmon City Creek, I'm intimidated. Like, there's hard cheeses, there's soft cheeses. I can't pronounce 99% of them. Where do we start? We also understand that cheese is intimidating. So we love helping people. I think the most common misconception is that there are a bunch of tiny little jerks behind the cheese counter that are going to judge every (laughs) single thing that you do or don't know about cheese or whether you mispronounce it. And I know for a fact that our goal is to make it a lot more inviting and comfortable. And everybody else in Salt Lake feels the same way, regardless of what cheese counter you go to. But if I were to be building a cheese board or buying cheese for a party or for a gathering, the cheesemongers are there to help you. And it's the best part of our day to be able to cut cheese and taste cheese. I think the biggest recommendation I could make is to ask to sample. You can do that? Oh my gosh, it is the most important part. We want you to really taste and know that you love something before you take it home. Going and just picking cheeses at random because they look cute or like have a nice name is really risky. Like what if That cheese is so offensive to your palate that you're going to be embarrassed to serve it or not want to. Knowing that you like it before you walk out, I think, is the most important part of the entire experience. I had absolutely no idea that was even on the table. I have been quietly buying, taking rather expensive risks with things that just kind of look cute or sound good. And that, wow, that's That's just changed the game for me. (laughs) It makes it so much easier. You know that the minute you taste something, whether you like it or not, and whether you're going to want to share it or not. And so the biggest ask on our part is that you come with a somewhat empty stomach so that we can feed you and help you find what you're going to love the most. Well, millennials have gained quite a reputation for loving a cheese board. But why do you think that is? Like, what is the point of laying cheese out on a piece of wood in oh my the gosh. first place. There are so many memes about this, and we are like absolute little cheese gremlins. Our generation is yeah. so predisposed to the cheese board. And I think it's because that we were raised on Lunchables. We've been stacking yeah. cheese and meat and crackers together since we were kids, and we thought we were doing it artfully when we were young. And now that we have the income to support mm. spending some money on some really expensive cheeses, it becomes this 
really natural gathering point at any party. I think everyone knows that feeling. You walk into a party and there's always people congregated around a cheese board because there's always something you're going to love. Everybody loves cheese. But it's also a great like mingling point. If you don't want to talk small talk, you can talk about cheese. Mm -hmm. The other thing I like about it at a gathering is that generally you're taking small bites. There's nothing worse than like biting into like, I don't know, a Spanakopita or something. And you're like, this is at least 15 shoes. Yeah. (laughs) Which means I can't really small talk with it, especially with a stranger. They have no reason to be patient while I chew this. They don't know me. (laughs) But like I can I can take care of a piece of cheese and like maybe three chews. Yeah. The shared (laughs) trauma of like being caught in a conversation with tons of food in your mouth, I think, is vivid (laughs) for many people. And it's it's not cute. You can't adorably chew through layers and layers of things like phyllo and still make people think that you have something important to say in the middle of it. (laughs) Okay, well, while we've got you here, I have a bit of a challenge for you. So here's a scenario. I'm having a party. I am inviting sort of a mixed bag of people. I don't know that anyone is necessarily going to be game for like a stinky cheese, but I think they're probably open to trying something new. How would you build out like a beginner cheese board, something for everyone? Because I I don't want there to be cheese left on the board at the end of the night here. You know what I mean? Oh, we are different in that regard. I want so many cheese leftovers that I can have a second party (laughs) to myself the next morning or as soon as everybody (laughs) leaves. But challenge accepted. Okay, wait, but quick follow up on that. Do you individually bag the cheeses or do you throw them all in one Ziploc together like my mother? (laughs) It depends on how much wine I've had. I know that like in my heart of hearts, I'm supposed to separate every single cheese and every single meat because they're going to taste and last much, much longer in my fridge if I do that. But if it's two in the Mm. morning and there are bottles just everywhere, I'm not doing that. I know that about myself. (laughs) And like, while it feels like it's not that important, I'd wake up in the morning and do it the next day. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with just throwing it all in the fridge and making it a tomorrow problem. Future you can handle that. That's right. Current you cannot. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. If you came to the counter and I was your monger and we were going to build a cheese board together, all the information you provided was super helpful. Um, How many people are coming? Let's say 25. That's a great number. And you were very generous for wanting to put together a great cheese board for that many people. So kudos to you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Well, I got a bonus. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. Let's use that bonus. So I would recommend, we usually say that we want to have at least two to four ounces of meat and cheese per person. So the next question is, do you want to have a mixture of meat and cheese or is this specifically cheese and maybe vegetables and fruit and jam? Let's keep it to cheese. Okay. But maybe with some like fruit and jam. Perfect. I love I love the fruit and jam edition. It really kind of zhuzhes it up. We call it the lipstick of the board. You put out all these delicious things, but you need to add a splash of color and something to attract them. And that's where your fruit comes in. But yes. I think the perfect place to start is with some really approachable cheeses of varying textures. So we would offer first maybe a couple soft options that mm. are not stinky, but are really okay. nice and Mild, grassy, creamy, something like Robiola Bocina, something like Cassatica di Bufala. Those are Mm. soft cheeses that are not just cow's milk. So it also gives you the opportunity to try things that are mixed milks. Robiola is cow and sheep. Cassatica di Bufala is water buffalo. And it sounds wild, but it's super mellow and kind of like yogurty. And I really love it. So it's a really easy way to offer something very unique but is still approachable and not going to be super intimidating. There's no funk. There's no stink. It is not 
an ugly mm. cheese. It's super, super creamy with a really nice kind of like pliant rind. So I'd have you try okay. those two. We'd see which one you like best. We would probably want to consider how you're going to cut it. With soft cheeses, it's the one that we always recommend not cutting on your board because there's so much water content to those really creamy cheeses. When they come down to room temperature, that paste becomes like atomic glue and most of it sticks to your board. And then you're left with like half the cheese on the board and the other half oh. getting eaten. So if you're ever going to put a soft cheese on your board, it's always the one I would recommend not cutting in advance and putting a cheese knife nearby so that people can cut as they snack or as they come and visit the board so that you're not leaving half of what you bought behind just in a sad yeah. little like pillowy cloud oh. on your board. Of goo. Yeah, that's a good tip. So then those soft cheeses usually do the best with fresh fruits or microgreens or jam. I am pretty against putting jam directly onto the cheese. I want my guests and friends to be able to decide if they want it. So I'll put it in a cute little bowl next to it. You can decide if you want to try some with, some without. But if you go and drizzle jam over everything, then everybody is on this journey with you forever. Yeah. There is no avoiding it. So having it nearby, next door on your board, makes it a really inviting opportunity to pair them if you'd like. But if you have friends that aren't food people and are looking for a more savory experience, they don't have to subscribe to our jamming. So yeah. that would be a really great cheese to pair with fruits, pair with a sweeter jam, maybe even something like a jalapeno jelly if you want to do keep it savory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's where we'd go from there. And then into our semi-firm category, I really love Alpine-style cheeses for gatherings with people that whose palates I'm not familiar with. Alpine-style cheeses rely on the caramelization of some leftover lactose in those cheeses. So you get these really fruity but buttery kind of toasted nut caramelized flavors. So it's not going to be pungent in an off-putting way. It's a really inviting flavor. And it's cheeses like Gruyere and Comte that we're familiar with. But if you want to zhuzh it up, we have cheeses like Hollerhocker and Schnebelhorn and all of these fun sounding things that kind I'm of sorry, sound... those are dog breeds. <laughs> I know. I mean, they sound like professors in Harry Potter, which just yes. makes it really, really fun to say. Um, but they're really delicious in kind of a sweet, nutty way. So there's not any pungency or astringency to it that can feel maybe a little bit more challenging. But there's enough mm. nuance and depth that when you eat it, especially at room temperature, it feels really complex. There's a lot of length. There's a lot to experience there. And the best part about yeah. having Alpine cheeses on your board, in my opinion, is everything that's left over can get melted into a grilled cheese the next morning when you're having maybe a small hangover. So Yum. future you will also love the Alpine cheeses because they're perfect to cook with. I love that you said a lot of length. That's so interesting. Is by that, do you just mean like the flavor sort of lingers? Yeah. So one of the biggest tips I would give anybody when you're having a cheese board is to make it well in advance of your guests coming so they can come down to room temperature. Cheeses mm. are their best and most delicious as close to room temperature as possible. And when you get to experience some of these cheeses, chewing and swallowing is the experience we know and love. But after you swallow and kind of start breathing through your nose, there's this experience that is called retronasal activity, which sounds very douchey. But <laughs> I'm like, okay, Fraser Crane. I know. <laughs> I, I cringe on the inside every time I say it, but it's a really cool experience because there are sometimes flavors that weren't present when you were eating the cheese that exist only after, that kind of mm. linger on the back of your palate. That is 
the length that I love on a cheese. If there's something that like continues to keep popping up, yeah. that's when I know I found a love for life. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. With the board that you've just designed, mm -hmm. what kind of wine are you pairing? This is the hardest part. There's never going to be one beverage that's going to pair with every single thing on your board. And we left another cheese out. We need to give you a hard or a blue cheese, depending on what you want. But if you're going to oh. have three cheeses, I... Love even numbers, except on a cheese board. I think we should always have odd numbers of cheese for whatever reason. It's so much easier to put together and make beautiful. So whether mm -hmm. you're going to go after a really hard aged cheese that has some of those fun little crystalline crunchy amino acids in them or a blue cheese, those become much bigger flavors, really complicated to find something that pairs with that kind of harder or blue cheese that's also going to do well with your soft cheese. Yeah. So because of that, our recommendation is always to pick something that you love. If you are loving what's in your glass because it is something that you're comfortable with and used to, you're going to love eating things alongside it. It doesn't mean that you're going to get this like mind-blowing cheese and wine pairing epiphany every time you put a couple things in your mouth, but you're going to have a much more enjoyable experience. So if I was going to have just three cheeses, like the ones that we just talked about, I would probably make something like an Averna spritz. So it would be Prosecco, Averna, and a little bit of sparkling water. And it's basically like a Coca-Cola for grownups. Yeah. But because of that kind of hint of sweetness, the bitterness, the herbaceousness, it's really, really well positioned to sit with a variety 
of different cheeses. And if you don't like spritzes and that's not your brand of fun, then I would suggest either a sparkling wine, something like a DOCG Prosecco, like one made by Adami, or maybe a light-bodied red if you know that you're going to have people that really love red. And having a couple bottles of both will give people the opportunity to choose what they like and find some sort of pairing within all of that that they're going to love. It's interesting to me that you recommended bubbles Mm -hmm. because is there any sort of science to like the carbonation and tasting things? Because I just think about like when you eat something that's really spicy, like the last thing you want is bubbles, right? Because it kind of Mm -hmm. prolongs, it feels like it prolongs the effect. Is there science to that? There is to the spice and what you just described. And the best part about bubbles and cheese is it turns that on its head and makes it kind of like the scrubbing bubbles or palate cleanser for your board. Ah. If you're having three different cheeses, which are primarily fat, using a sparkling wine to act as a palate cleanser will add a bit of acidity to that experience. So you get a little juxtaposition of the textures and flavors that you're enjoying, which I love. But it also kind of cleanses your palate and gets your mouth ready for a new bite of something else without whatever you had before interfering with it. Wow. Okay. That rocked me. <laughs> it's it's a fun way to eat. Well, I mean, it is clear that a lot of time and effort goes into making cheese, any kind of cheese, not mm-hmm. just beautiful cheese delicacies. Why is it important to understand where our food comes from? Because there are people behind it, and there's somebody that directly benefits from those types of artisan farmstead cheeses. I think the best example of a direct benefit to somebody is um, our friend Randy Ramsley at Mesa Farm. He's based in Caneville, Utah, which we will probably never see on a map because it's so tiny, but it's just outside of Capitol Reef. Randy's got about maybe two or three dozen goats. He makes all of his cheeses in the middle of southern Utah, and they are really, really beautifully done. And Again, akin to wine, they have terroir. There's this sense of taste from where those goats are grazing freely along the banks of the Fremont River. And Randy harnesses all of that in a really old style, very traditional way of making cheese that is not high volume production because it's just him and these goats. There's a lot of character to it. And Caputo's has the privilege of aging all of those cheeses. So he makes these cheeses, sends them straight to us, and we age them in our caves. But knowing that every time we sell a piece of one of the Mesa cheeses, that it directly benefits this one person who we very, very, we love him so much. He's very important to what we do. To know that that money is going to somebody and to their bottom line rather than a corporation that is just looking at metrics and is operating in like an overly sterile, very high-volume corporate style of production, it doesn't impact them, but it impacts these few people who are committed to doing something that's been done the same way for thousands of years. There is an art to that, but it's also much, much better for us. Those cheeses that Randy is making are full of probiotics and bacteria that are really, really good for us. So not only are you supporting a person, you're nourishing your body in ways that we don't think of when we think of cheese normally. And in turn, you're doing that for everybody you share that cheese with. It's a lot more eating for connection and eating for community rather than just considering food as fuel. Yeah, it's funny to think of cheese as being a nutritional element because I think I've always thought of it as an indulgence or even Mm -hmm. like a vice. 
And I wonder if part of the reason for that is because the price point can be really high. Like, mm-hmm. it can be expensive. It is easy if you are making a cheese board like the one we proposed in this episode for 25 people to drop triple digits mm-hmm. on making this thing, you know, beautiful and aesthetic and delicious. So cheese has this reputation for being snobby. But is it? Like, is that is that cheese's origin story? No, I mean, cheese was born out of the will to survive. Mm. The alpine cheeses, again, are a great example of this. People that lived in these high alpine areas were looking for ways to create nutritionally dense foods that would help them survive through the coldest months of winter when nothing is coming and growing out of the ground and you've gone through all of your stores of preserved fruits and vegetables. A hunk of cheese has so much nutritional value to it that you could live off of it for a few months when you needed to. So there is this air of snobbery in a lot of different specialty foods. And I don't think it is well-placed and it's not, and nobody deserves to feel ashamed for not knowing the names of cheeses. That's our job. And our job is to make sure that people leave with delicious things that they can share with their friends. Adri Pacelli, Director of Education and Senior Manager at Caputo's Market. Thank you. I learned so much from you today. Thank you so much for having us. I hope your cheese board in theory is delicious. Oh, Listen, I've never been hungrier. (laughs) We're going to be tasting our cheeses and making delicious boards all summer. I'm so excited for us. The Downtown Farmer's Market is on a hiatus right now, but don't panic. Your favorite egg guy will be back to Pioneer Park on June 3rd. In the meantime, you can hit up the Wheeler Farms Sunday Market, which kicks off this weekend in Murray. I also reached out to the Utah Food Coalition about this, and they said Central Ninth Market is stocking hydroponic produce from Snuck Farms in Pleasant Grove, and they've got mushrooms and greens from Red Acre Farms in Cedar City. So that should hold you over, right? That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.